Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. Tonight, we are beginning a new series entitled, Blessed, Broken, and Given. And we are looking about how God can take our story and make it sacred in his hands. You know, bread is probably one of the most ordinary things in the world. It's just very common. And anywhere you go in the world, every culture has some form of bread. Of course, you go to France and you've got the baguettes and the croissants and just that kind of rich bread. Uh, you go to Latin American countries and they have tortillas. Uh, you go to India and they have naan bread. Anyone ever had naan bread, like warm naan bread? It is, it is smack your mama good. I'm going to be honest with you. You get some warm naan with some good hummus and man, you just, that stuff's to die for. And so you go to India, they've got naan bread. Uh, you go to Chinese, they have these doughy bread uh, rolls. America, of course, we've got our sliced white bread. Uh, just bread is the building block of a meal. Bread is a staple in every diet. And, and during biblical times, bread was very common. Uh, bread was a major part of people's diets. The commonness of bread makes it a perfect metaphor for our lives. Because if we're honest, if we're really honest, most of what we do in our life is pretty ordinary. Tomorrow morning we'll, we'll get up, <coughs> well, maybe not tomorrow because it's Labor Day, but Tuesday morning you'll get up, <coughs> you'll go to work, you'll go to school, you'll spend several hours a day working or going to school, and most of what you're doing during that time is complaining that you just want to get home because you're tired of going to work and tired of going to school. Then you get home and you, you watch some Netflix or some TV, Maybe you can cruise on Facebook for a while, <coughs> eat dinner, maybe just spend some time hanging out, and then you go to bed. Some days you uh, may mow the lawn, you may shuttle the kids uh, around, you may go shopping, you may watch some football, <coughs> but for the most part, nothing about our daily lives sets us apart from anyone else. Anyone else. Our lives are ordinary. Like bread. Now, maybe you don't see your life that way, but that's typically what it is. Maybe you realize that your life is ordinary and you've settled for something that, to a life that doesn't really matter much. You're like, well, my life's not going to mean much anyway, so I'm just going to live my life for myself and just try to get things done and just try to hang on as best as I can. Or, or maybe you're living your life at an unsustainable pace. You're, you're grasping and grabbing for, for things, that something that always feels out of reach for you, trying to find some significance to your life. Maybe you're struggling with voices that tell you that you, you really don't matter that much and that your life will never be good enough. Now, the good news is 
even though most of our lives are, are fairly ordinary and we don't really see much to it, there is more to our lives than we actually see. Because though bread is common and ordinary, really doesn't matter much, throughout the Bible, God used bread in incredible ways. In the Old Testament, bread fell from heaven as a sign of God's provision for his people. Bread is used as a metaphor for the law of God. Jesus, of course, fed thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And the final night before his crucifixion, he takes bread with his disciples and he breaks it, he blesses it, he gives it to them, and he starts a brand new ordinance. Luke records three stories about Jesus taking bread in his hands, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it. And tonight as we begin this new series, I want to look at the first story that Luke records. So in Luke chapter number 9, <coughs> starting verse number 10, And the apostles, when they were returned, <clears throat> told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God, and healed them and had, that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. Now, of course, this is Luke's record of the feeding of the 5,000, the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. And so Luke is, is telling his version or what he remembers from that day. And there's a, there's a couple things we see in this passage. First thing we notice is we notice the need of the people is overwhelming. Now, of course, Jesus had been with them before, and he'd, he'd healed many of them, and he'd taught many of them. And then when his disciples come back, he, they try to go into a desert place to get alone. They try to pull away from themselves so they can kind of recoup and, and, and get their strength back and maybe just kind of fellowship with each other and kind of let each other know what's going on. And as soon as they leave, people find out where Jesus is, and they follow him into the desert place. And so these people, they've been following Jesus all day long. They're far from home. They're, they're very needy, of course. Many of them came to Jesus to be healed of Jesus. And so there's an incredible need here, and they're very far from home. They're, there's a lot of them, and they're hungry. And because, the, because there were so many, because the need was so great, resources were in short supply. Of course, the disciples come to Jesus. They see the need. These people are hungry. They need food. They need rest. There's a lot of them. And they come up with a solution. Send them away. Not in a hateful, evil way. They weren't like, Jesus, we're sick of these people. Just get rid of them. They were concerned for them. They're hungry. They need food. They, they need to be able to take care of themselves. And Jesus, we can't do it because we don't have enough resources to take care of it. So the best thing to do is just send the crowd home. Now, it seems practical, but also uncompassionate. Because, again, they're, they're in a desert place. They're far from home. So if they left now to get to food, they're going to be even hungrier and going to be a long journey for a lot of them. And some of them may have some difficulty on the way. But it was a practical solution. 
And if we're honest, it's how a lot of us feel about the needs of our friends and our neighbors. Their needs can be overwhelming. Their problems can be more than we can take care of. More than we can imagine doing something. We watch the news and we're bombarded by just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy and hardship after hardship. We, Of course, coming up on, uh, on Florida now, there's a hurricane and we watch the news and we watch the weather station and the hurricane's going to hit and people are going to lose their homes and people are going to lose their lives and there's going to be devastation down there and we're going to look at it and honestly, we're going to think, what can we really, what can we do? To help. The answer is just like the apostles, really nothing, God. We can't help them. The, the need's great. We're com- we, we're, we feel bad for them. We're compassionate for them, but we just don't know what to do. Then you look through Facebook and you, you see friends who you're not really friends with them, you're Facebook friends with them, but they get a difficult diagnosis from the doctor on Facebook and you don't know how to help. Maybe they have an unexpected loss that they're dealing with. And when you see these things, <coughs> you can feel hopeless. And what do you do? Do you just a simple sad face emoji? Is that, is that going to cut it when someone's facing the loss of a loved one or someone's facing a cancer surgery? And so that's not going to help them at all. You can pray for them and you should and you tell them you're praying for them and you, you should pray for them, but... Really, practically speaking, what can we do? It's just, it's just too much for us. And then on top of that, you, you have your own stuff to deal with. I mean, let's be honest, we don't, our life's not a walk in the park either. We've all got our own issues to deal with. And so we're dealing with our own struggles, our own problems, our own trials. And then we see the tragedy in the world. And then we see associates and people that we're, we're, we're friends with or people that we know. And they have difficulty and they're having trial. And it's just like, Lord, what, what can I do? There's, there's nothing I can do. I don't have the resources to help. So the disciples, as we probably would have done too, said, God, the need's huge. They've got a, a huge problem. We're hungry too. We can't feed us and them. So God, just, just send them away. Let them take care of themselves. Let them go get something to eat. But Jesus wouldn't do it. He wouldn't leave them alone. And he wouldn't let the disciples off the hook. Look at verse number 13. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. So, of course, we'll see in a bit, there's at least... 5,000 people here, probably upwards of ten or 15,000 people there. There's 12 disciples. The 12 disciples come to Jesus and say, Hey, this, this crowd of 15,000, they're pretty hungry. They're pretty far from home. Let's send them back before they get hangry on us. And Jesus looks at his 12 apostles and says, Why don't y'all feed them? Y'all take care of it. Y'all feed them with what you have. Verse number uh, 13. I'm sorry, verse number 12. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and he said to them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes. Now, of course, we know from other gospels, this is a little boy's lunch. Except we should go and buy meat for all this people. So he just looks at them and says, Why don't y'all go feed them? And they said, Lord, we, we mugged a kid back there because we were so hungry. And we just got five pieces of bread and some fish. And we're not going to share that with these people because we're starving ourselves and we can't go and buy them to eat because there's too many of them and it's too far away. Don't go about verse 14. For they were about 5,000 men and he said to his disciples, 
make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so and made them all sit. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and break them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat and were all filled. And there was taken up the fragments that remained unto them, twelve baskets. Now Jesus saw the need that the apostles saw as well. He didn't see some. He didn't see a need that they didn't see. He saw the same need. These are these are hungry people. They're needy people. They have a problem. He saw the need. He saw the same resources that they saw. He saw the fifteen thousand hungry people. He saw the five loaves and two fishes. And he he saw the problem. He saw the resources available. And he did something. He blessed the bread. He broke it. And he gave it away. In those three actions, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it away, changed the entire story. This desert place became a place of abundance. There was a place with no food, and it became a place of an incredible banquet. A story that started out with not enough ended up with more than enough for everyone with plenty left over. That is what happens when Jesus thinks takes something that we think is ordinary, like bread, and blesses it, and breaks it, and gives it away. These three actions can not only change the story in the Bible, but it can change your story as well. They can change the story of your life. Allowing Jesus to bless your life break your life and give your life can take your ordinary life and turn into something miraculous for his honor and his glory. So Jesus took the bread, he blessed it by giving thanks to the Father. He broke it and he gave it to the crowd. Bread in the hands of Jesus is blessed, broken, and given. And the same thing happens when your life is placed in his hands. Your life is common and Ordinary as bread in the hands of Jesus becomes something more. So what does it become? Well, number one, <coughs> your life in the hands of Jesus is blessed. Now, this blessedness that Jesus is talking about, the Bible is talking about, it isn't about getting more stuff. You know, of course, there's these prosperity preachers out there that talk about how if you uh, give them a dollar and they'll you know, sow a seed of faith there and they'll bless that and pray over that. And that, that one dollar seed of faith will go into a thousand dollars. And so if you give a thousand dollars, it goes into a million dollars. That's a prosperity gospel where blessing equals stuff. Scripturally speaking, blessing doesn't mean more stuff. Blessing doesn't mean that you don't have trials and you don't have problems in your life. Blessedness, according to Scripture, is knowing who you are in Christ and knowing what His purpose for your life is. Knowing that you're a child of God, that you are loved, you are accepted, you are cherished by God the Father, and His purpose for your life is to conform you to His image and to use you to reach the lost and to bless the world. That's why He uses your trials. That's why He uses your pain. That's why He uses your joys for His honor and for His glory. It is when the blessedness of God is to become a new creature. 
See, before you got saved, you were a sinner. Once you accept Christ as your Savior, you stand before God as righteous as Christ because of His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Because of what He did on the cross, because of what He did in the grave, because His resurrection, we stand before God a righteous people because of nothing that we've done, but because we were made new and accepted Christ as our Savior. You were an enemy of God. You were born opposed to God. In rebellion to Him. But once you accept Him as your Savior and you receive the blessing of God, now you are loved, cherished, and accepted by God. No matter what you're facing in your life, no matter what trial you may be going through, no matter what sickness you may be battling, no matter what heartache you may be going through, if you're a child of God tonight, you are blessed by God. Your life is blessed in his hands. And number two, we see your life in the hands of Jesus is broken. You know, when we think of something being broken, it, it doesn't sound like something that we really want to have done to us. We don't like broken things. We don't like our cars to be broken. We don't like our phones to be broken. We don't like our stuff to be broken. You know, last year, Parker broke his leg pretty severely. When he fell down and broke his tibia, fibia, and ankle, he didn't say, man, I'm so glad that this happened. He cried a lot. I picked at him because I didn't think it was so bad. And I felt bad and had to buy him a brand new phone to ease my guilt. But he broke something and it didn't feel good. You know, Nora, of course, she broke her elbow this year. Uh, Majesty, he broke his elbow. When When they broke it, it hurt and it wasn't something that they enjoyed happening to them. So to us, broken is bad. But being broken in the hands of God isn't. There are several different kinds of brokenness that we can go through. And we're going to look at them in detail in a couple weeks. But first of all, there's brokenness that comes from our frailty. From us just being finite human creatures. That's the brokenness that Parker and Nora and, and Majesty and many of us who have broken bones, that's the brokenness that we feel. We get hurt, something happens, we have pain. It's just we are fragile creatures, and the older we get, the more fragile we get. And so we're fragile creatures, and we experience brokenness like that. There's also brokenness because of, they were broken because of their limitation. There's also a brokenness that comes from our own failures. Brokenness over our sin. Brokenness over mistakes that we've made. Brokenness over harsh words that either we've spoken to someone or someone has spoken to us. Broken relationships, broken opportunities, broken, broken situations from mistakes that, that we've had. And then there's the brokenness that is just the pain of living in a fallen world. Our suffering and pain, sickness. Tragedy. We, we see these tragedies happening all over the news and these, these, these mass shootings and these hurricanes and all this tragedy going on. And we see all this brokenness, the abortion issue and all these things. And we wonder, why is this going on? Why is the world so broken? It's because we live in a fallen world. And all of these different kinds of brokenness can be placed in the hands of Jesus. And when we place our brokenness, when we place our failures... We place our frailty, we place our suffering 
in the hands of Jesus, you become open to the grace of God. And this brokenness, it's not about wallowing in your sin or fixated about how miserable you are. To be broken in the hands of Jesus is to allow the grace of God to humble you, to lead you to a place of vulnerability with other people, to transform your heart and to use your pain, your hurt, your brokenness to bring good to the kingdom and glory of God. Brokenness becomes openness in the hands of Jesus. After all, bread that isn't broken can't be shared. That brings us to point number three. Your life in the hands of Jesus is given. You know, I've said this in numerous sermon series and numerous times over the last year, but you are not here for yourself. You're not here as an island of your own. You know, if Jesus wanted to just save you and not use you at all, as soon as we accepted Christ as our Savior, we'd be sucked up into heaven and be done with it. Jesus left you here for other people. Jesus left you here to encourage other believers. Jesus left you here to use you to reach the lost with Christ. Now, your life with Jesus is deeply personal, but it's not private. The openness that comes from being broken is meant to lead you outward. It's meant to lead you to give yourself for other people. There is a hunger in the world around us. The lost world knows that they're missing something. That's why they look for it in, in sex and drugs and alcohol and all this other stuff. They're looking to fill the void that they feel because it's a, a void that's the size of eternity that's never going to be filled until they accept Christ as your Savior. So they're looking for all these other solutions, and we have the answer to them. They are hungry for something more. And when your life becomes blessed by Jesus and broken in Jesus' hands, then he gives you out for his glory and for the life of the world. You become a way for others to find the bread of life. You become a way of what you become something that he uses to bring other people to him. But you have to experience the blessing and embrace the brokenness, and then you can be given and be used by God. Look again at verse number 16 in Luke chapter 9. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. Now, one of the most remarkable things about this story is that after Jesus gets the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to the disciples to pass out. Now, he'd just performed a miracle of multiplication. He could have performed a miracle of distribution and everyone had a fish sandwich appear in their hands. He could have done that. He could have said, Lord, make this bread last for everybody and poof, everyone's got enough bread to go around, enough fish to, to feed a whole family. He could have done that, but he didn't do it. He gives the bread back to the disciples. He takes the bread from them, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them for them to distribute to the crowd. Why did he involve the disciples? Because that's how God works in the world. 
God made humanity in his image to reflect his image to the world. We are to be reflectors of the image of Christ. That's why in Antioch, when they said that they were first called Christians at Antioch, because they were so like Christ that when people saw them, they said they're just like that Jesus. That's what Christian means, Christ-like. They reflected the character and the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus so much that people said, man, they're just like Jesus. They are Christ-like. That's what we're supposed to be. Not Christian in name only. When people see us, they're supposed to see God in us. They're supposed to see His love and His mercy and His grace. From the beginning, God chose man to be His messengers, to be His ambassadors to a dark and dying world. Jesus had told His disciples to give the people something to eat. The disciples wanted to send them away. The disciples saw the crowd as a problem. Jesus saw the crowd as the disciples' responsibility. And now, because of Jesus' miraculous blessing, what had not been enough for even the twelve disciples became more than enough for everyone. And the disciples, who were going to be the bearers of bad news to hungry people, they became the carriers of good news to those people. That's what Jesus does. He blesses us, he takes our brokenness, and he uses it for the good of someone else. God blesses our life. God used the brokenness in our life so we can give of ourselves to others and bring honor and glory to him. Your life is not ordinary. Your life is blessed, your life is broken, and your life is given for God's glory, and for other people. See, Jesus turned a desolate place into a place of abundance because he didn't see the desolation. He saw the potential. Do we see the world as as Jesus sees it? Do we see our life as Jesus sees it? Do we see ourselves as ordinary, or do we see potential for God's glory? The good news is that in the hands of Jesus, we don't have to be epic. We don't have to be spectacular. We can be bread. We can be ordinary. We can be common, but we can be used for the glory of God. When Jesus takes your hands in his life, it is blessed, it is broken, and it is given. Are you willing to let your life be used for his glory? Are you willing to trust him in your brokenness? Are you willing to be given so others can receive the bread of life?